0: Greetings and welcome to Mysteries of the Mornland. Mysteries of the Mornland is a level up, advanced 5th edition actual play horror podcast set in the world of Eberron. As a horror podcast, listener discretion is advised. You can find a full list of content advisories in the episode description. Again, listener, welcome. We are excited to have It is my esteemed pleasure to welcome you both to our recording test and to our general orientation to the podcast. My name is Josh. I will be your Dungeon Master for our excursion exploring the mysteries of the Mourn Land. And everyone else, say hello. Say hello. Hello.
1: hello. Well,
0: hello. 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 First things first, introductions.
1: My
2: name yes. is Cassandra. And I will be playing Rook tonight.
1: My name is Sloan, and I will be playing Van.
2: My name is David, and I will be playing Chef. And my name is Will, I will be playing Sinpec. Wonderful,
0: wonderful. Okay, Cassandra, can you tell us a little bit about Rook?
3: Rook is a sorcerer. Uh, They are a changeling. They are, surprisingly, also an actor, therefore skilled in performance. Uh, They have a knack for reading people and an aptitude for spellcasting.
0: All right. Uh, Will, can you tell us a little bit about Syntech?
3: Happily.
4: Syntech is a known uh, artificer artificer, and is very science-minded, very good at tinkering, lots of proficiencies at tool usages, and good at performing different manual skills. They are an artillerist, so they like their projectiles. So they are good at ranged combat more so than being up close, for which is convenient because they are especially squishy.
0: Wonderful. David, tell us about Chef.
2: Sure. Chef, uh, full name, Chef Razar Sharks Anivirath, because I really like long, complicated names. Chef is a dragonborn cleric. Uh, He is specifically a cleric of the Tempest Domain, and Sheth channels divine power uh, both from the Church of the Silver Flame as a follower of the Silver Flame uh, and from his draconic ancestry. So Sheth's power set is the typical cleric stuff, and Tempest lets him work in some of that elemental storm power. Sheth has... Some proficiencies in the things you might expect from a cleric, uh, medicine, persuasion, religion, that kind of thing. But Sheth is also a bit of a bruiser. So not just a stand-in-the-back-and-cast-spells character, but a get-up-in-the-fight-and-hit-things-with-my-big-morning-star kind of character. Wonderful. And Sloan, can you tell us a bit about Van, please?
1: Yes. Uh, so Van is short for Vanguard, and he is a uh, war-forged fighter. Um using the brute uh, archetype. Uh essentially he is a massive tank. He is he specializes in using a halberd on the battlefield. And he is always uh like his namesake, he's always at the front lines essentially and charging headfirst into battle. And uh yeah, he essentially likes to swing a big old halberd at whatever's in front of him and you know hopefully leave him in a bunch of different bloody
0: piles. All right. Like I mentioned earlier, my name is Josh. I am your Dungeon Master. Cassandra and I are both one of several lead designers of Advanced 5th Edition, produced by EN Publishing. It's a very ambitious project, overhauling the entirety of the 5th Edition rule system. One of the main objectives for Advanced 5th Edition was backwards compatibility, which, given the nature of the story of our game, we get to showcase incredibly well. Each of the player characters are exhibiting a combination of advanced 5th edition mechanics and mechanics that you'll see in Eberron Rising from the Last War, imported directly, 100% backwards compatible. Uh, Will, so you're a gnome. What culture did you put with your gnome? I went with the steam-forged culture. Right. And David, what culture did you put for your dragonborn? Dragonbound,
2: appropriately.
0: All right. So because Will and David are using advanced fifth edition heritages, those are put side-by-side side with culture because, because race is a social construct. It has a little bit to do with both our ancestry and genetic history. And with our cultural upbringing. So David and Will are exhibiting that side of the rule set. Cassandra and Sloane are both using Changeling and Warforged directly Mm -hmm. from Everon Rising from the Last War and using it with the Advanced 5e version of those classes. Sloan mentioned the term archetype, and in A5E, that's what all the subclasses are called. Is they're all called archetypes, and it puts a little bit more emphasis on who you are as opposed to some sort of external thing. Point being that Cassandra and Sloan have the benefit of an advanced 5 archetype, but clerics, at the time of recording, don't yet have their archetypes finalized, so... So David is using the Tempest archetype for clerics from the original 5e rule set. So that's a little bit about A5e. What are y'all excited about the A5e system from what you've seen of it so far?
3: For me, and this was the big thing that made me want to get into working on A5e, uh, it was the character choice. Uh, It's always somewhere I've felt 5e was weak at base. uh, But in A5e, one of the design directions that we were given on everything we worked on uh was meaningful choice at every level and i really felt that uh in building my character for this and i think everyone i really hope that you feel that as well
1: yeah i would uh i'll chime in and say i definitely agree like so I've, I've been creating my character and one thing i've really enjoyed about it is how much more of an emphasis on like role-playing it has because with a lot of previous iterations of D&D, for me, it kind of devolves into just, like, trying to set your stats straight and everything and, like, not having a whole lot of necessarily, like, personality to what your uh, character is and everything. But here with, like, the heritage, culture, background, uh, destiny system and all, like, I-, I feel like there's a lot more of an actual, like, creation of a character rather than just a, here's just an avatar for me to beat face with, essentially. So um, So I'm definitely... Looking forward to playing some more of that and actually having all of these skills and everything I'm learning actually connect to my character. So uh, th- that's definitely something I'm, I'm looking forward to trying on this.
0: For sure, Sloan. One of the things Cassandra mentioned, design directives. One of our design directives was to make all three pillars of gameplay relevant. and And one of the ways to emphasize that is just through having rules for it. All character classes are supposed to have social and exploration support. The fighter is one of the best classes to exhibit that overhaul. Uh, in fact, it was one of the first classes to be drafted, and a lot of the work is based on the groundwork done in the fighter class.
1: Yeah, and actually, I, I was going to follow up uh, and mention that. Like, I'm also really excited to play fighter here because... Uh, a lot of times fighters are, you know, I mean, they're always going to be, you know, big old beaters basically, but like just with all of the uh, like archetypes and the combat maneuvers and everything, I feel like it gives a lot more of a amount of variety for the fighter. Cause you know, like typically as a fighter, you don't have a lot of like cool things that you're doing. It's usually the, you know, spellcasters that are doing stuff, but these are essentially like sort of like spells, I guess, for fighters. And I'm, I'm really uh, excited for that because I just feel like it'll give a lot more variety than just keep rolling them 20s, you know?
4: So. I was going to hop on and also agree saying that I, I like the way the character creation with heritage and culture and background works before you even get to class, just because I, I felt like it, it helped me find the story to tell with this character while I was putting it together because I've often found that If I make, if I start making a character and I'm not really feeling inspired by like a a really good idea for what kind of, you know, role they're going to play in the story or what kind of person I want them to be, I will still feel lost until I'm way toward the end of character creation. And this happened at the beginning because it broke things up and each one was very much about, you know, what are you physically, how did you grow up and what are your intentions in everything and I liked I felt like that helped me it it forced me to ask those questions up front instead of at the tail end
0: and there's something to be said about developing your character uh, as time goes on but at the same time finding your character in the first place is also really important and Mm -hmm. I've seen some characters go from bland to bam just because (laughs) they finally figured out what their destiny was yeah so the origin system
2: thumbs up David, what are you excited about? Well, everyone else said the things that I was going to say first. So I (laughs) I will add, because I'm excited about so many things. I like that throughout both the history of the character, right, background, uh, culture, what people have been talking about. And even in building the class, so many of your abilities, so many of your mechanical benefits are tied strongly to role-playing type things. So as a cleric, There are a bunch of options that you get to choose as a cleric that are directly tied to what kind of cleric you are, not just in the sense of what sort of power do you exhibit, but what kind of behaviors do you have, right? What is important to your cleric? Here's some mechanical tie-ins. And in terms of the the background stuff, uh, Sloan mentioned earlier, uh, hinted at the destiny selection. And what I like about the destiny mechanic is that it, creates mechanical rewards for a character goal, that your character is on a path and there's a little bit of a, a mechanical incentive to remind you to stay on that path, which is something that I really, really like because so often in d and a player is sort of left to their own devices to be like, all right, why are you in this party? Why are you going to fight the baddies in the bad places? Here, there's a little bit of, mechanical guidance to be like, you should act like this because you're going to get rewarded for it.
0: Heck yeah, man. So this one is also sort of an open question for you all. What I want to know is as we transition from having, just looking at our character sheets to transitioning into playing, what is something you would like for our audience to know about the game that we have coming up? So obviously it's set in Eberron, obviously... We're going to shoot for the horror aesthetic. We're going to try to make it Spooksville up in here. What's something that y'all want the audience to know before we set out on our adventure into the Mornland? I think the first thing that jumps to mind for me
4: is that by it being a horror setting and it being in Ebron where everything is pulpy and gritty and the world is terrible, that things are serious. You know, Not that we have to be serious nonstop, but that things are dire and that these are characters in a dire situation in a dire world and that's something I personally look forward to is getting to play in a situation where it's like yeah no if you mess around th- things will mess around back
2: mm-hmm. and th- I'm excited for that so I hope I hope the audiences do mm-hmm. I also I, I kind of I'm excited along those lines about getting to play in a setting where the world itself and all of the people in it are at least a little bit traumatized. Like Eberron is very, very much post-apocalyptic in the sense of, yes, a war just ended and our characters are going to the worst place, (laughs) the the place where the worst stuff happened. And, you know, I know my character, it's built into the backstory of how did the war affect you? How are you involved in this? How are you affected by all the terrible stuff that happened? And it's exciting to think about going into a world where, nothing's quite right, everything has been kind of turned on its head or turned on its side a little bit, and everything's a little bit shaken up by it. That's an exciting setting to go into.
3: And I think for my part, I think the D20 system has been much maligned for its use in horror. I am often one to make fun of the idea of using D20 for horror. Uh, I've often said, uh, all horror is great in d But sooner or later, somebody is going to turn into a (laughs) T-Rex. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I feel like a 5e might actually be a case of a 5e hack, like a D20 game that I could really see successfully delivering on horror. And I'm really curious to see how it plays with that.
0: As flattering as that is, why in the world do you say that?
3: I feel like for one thing in particular, I'm sure the exploration mechanics will come out through play, but 5 E's always kind of suffered from everything goes away with eight hours of rest. And I feel like A5e has actually gone a long way to make conditions stick, to make consequences stick, to make even just everything down to exploration, like the supply mechanics. Um, the feeling that there is vulnerability, that there is the potential for everything to go wrong is much more present and almost oppressive if the DM wants it to be. And I'm kind of looking forward to that.
0: The ambiance of the Mornland must, it simply must be oppressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, of course. That was such it's a good word for, for to describe the Mournland. Um, <laughs> and yeah, here's a, here's a rule that we might not have discussed is that in a five E one of the ways that we both streamline and then utilize adventuring supplies is to use an abstracted mechanic called supply. Cassandra, I think you can hold a number of supply equal to your strength score. Mm-hmm. And supply is one day's food and water yep. per person. And that's super interesting because Warforged don't need food and water.
1: I, I was about <laughs> to say, yeah, lucky me.
0: Okay. and this and this actually in a way also helps to highlight this is where the advanced mechanics actually go to support the story which is that one of the things that makes warforge so attractive as soldiers is that you don't have to feed them <laughs> they don't get sure. sick
1: yeah it's um that's definitely something i'm looking forward to uh experiencing in this campaign is Yeah, definitely like, you know, Warforged are literally created just for the purpose of war. And then now that this grand war is over and everything, like, what are they to do? You know, like, it's like war and battle is all they've ever known. And now they're realizing, oh, there's, there's more to life than killing other people and stuff. But how can I really experience life when I can't even necessarily eat, drink, breathe? I mean, there, there's, you know, it's also mechanical. So like, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that kind of disconnect from reality that, that Van may eventually experience, I guess. But, but all that by way of saying, and I guess I'm just going to lead into what I'm excited about is I'm really excited to bring the characterization that A5E is allowing us with uh, creating the characters and bringing that into a horror setting. Because for me, um, you know, one of the the key things to making an, an effective horror story slash campaign slash, you know, just piece of entertainment, essentially, is having you actually care for the characters as they're in these situations. Because, you know, if you don't really care for them, you're kind of getting what devolves into like a, you know, I guess a slasher movie or something. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like to really tie into the horror of everything you're wanting to experience what these characters are experiencing. So I'm looking forward to being able to integrate that into the story so that it's, you know, it's just, it just makes it more, uh, I guess, just more intense really.
4: So I I want people to be, to feel something and be sad when my character
0: inevitably meets a horrible end. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, if y'all were to choose one horror or sci-fi horror movie, that you wish that you could just channel that into this campaign. Let's just help manifest that. What would y'all want it to be?
3: Event Horizon. I finally remembered the one I was thinking about when you asked me ages ago. I swear.
0: Wait, wait. Is that the one where they go into deep space and uh, yeah. and they're all possessed by uh, 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 cannibal
3: demons? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Does it have a it's, black
0: orb at the center of its, of the engine?
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. movie. So <laughs> uh, liberate tutu ex inferne.
0: Yes, that's the word.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Can't forget it. Wow. You, you, you
0: learned the Latin line. That's amazing. <laughs> it's, it lives right free in my head. <laughs> Totes. All right. Who, who What else are we channeling
4: and manifesting here? For me, the first one that popped into my head, and I'm not sure it's it's the uh, uh, end-all be-all for sure, but it's definitely the first one that popped in would be John Carpenter's The Thing.
1: Ah, man. Mm. Oh, no. Did I, did I <laughs> steal yours? You stole mine.
4: Uh. <laughs> I can pick a different one. Uh, I'll go with Alien.
1: No, no, no. Go <laughs> with The
4: Thing because I, I back <laughs> well, we got a backup. We're going to thing? space today. Uh, i love the thing i love the body horror of the thing i love the paranoia i love the the claustrophobic isolation in the north uh, uh, or in the the south wherever they were i don't remember which one they were on
0: i I love how ugly the monsters are
2: yeah
4: (laughs)
1: yeah i I 100 percent agree with you on that like it's it is pretty much my favorite horror movie so like I love that movie, but um, I I guess as a backup uh, going along with John Carpenter, I guess I would probably pick Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter. Yeah. So that's like Carpenter's uh, one of his movies from the 90s that I think is extremely underrated, but it's essentially like kind of a psychological slash cosmic horror thing that like if you like the thing it would be kind of up that alley but it's it's a little more i guess meta it's i mean it's, it's like a classic lovecraft setting where like a a guy a, a literary agent is having to like do some detective work to find this author that's gone missing and apparently his books are powerful enough to drive people to commit murder and stuff and so just a lot of like really really crazy stuff happens in that. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, if you're looking for a movie uh, to watch on horror movie night, I would highly recommend that one.
2: David, what about you? Well, uh, my plan originally was to jump in real fast and say alien before Will got a chance to go. Um, (laughs) I didn't use it. I I knew that I'm not using it. Um, (laughs) I I was thinking alien. I like the, you know, monster. That is also cool to discover as you go. That I like the the concept of we're lost in this place and there's something here that, you know, a cool monster with us, but you're getting to know the monster over the course of uh, the experience. And while I was trying to think of a backup in case Will got to Alien before me, I also thought I recently reread through, uh, this is a book, uh, I haven't actually seen the movie, but Michael Crichton's Sphere. And Sphere has a very, I think in this context, relatable motif of being in a place you don't want to be and bad stuff is happening and you don't really know what it is and it's a little bit abstract and it's really creepy wait and- is fear the one where they're
0: underwater and they find the alien spacecraft yes yeah i just watched that the other day
2: yeah. I haven't one. actually seen the movie but I've read the book a number of times and I really like it. I don't like know
0: whether you need to see the movie but it's kind of, maybe it would be cool. I imagine that <laughs> I imagine that there are ways of doing those ideas really well on paper that you may not be
2: able to do as clearly on, on film. Yeah. I can't imagine that the movie would satisfy me as much as the book although I might be wrong. Dustin Hoffman, Samuel L. Jackson, those are good actors.
1: Yeah, it's the, true. The movie's okay. Yeah, it's it's not yeah, I don't think it's bad. I actually think it's okay, but yeah, it, yeah, I think you might like the book a little more.
0: <laughs> uh, if I had to choose a movie that I want to manifest, I want to manifest Annihilation. Starring Natalie Portman and that guy from Star Wars. Actually, they're both from Star Wars.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah, did exactly. finally get that. I am going to
2: watch it this week. I promise. Oh, you
0: should. It's basically been the whole inspiration of this
2: idea. I so, know, it is. I mean, we should watch it. Oh yeah! Oh, oh, there's a uh, there's a
0: whole app for this, y'all. Except we can't. Shit! Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) We'll We'll all watch it. Report. What are you gonna say? Uh,
1: I was just agreeing with you. I I said Annihilation's really, really well done, and that that has been one of my one of the better like horror-ish movies I've uh, watched in recent years. So I'm uh, glad to see other people are are watching it
0: so good and like maybe it's good because I, it's actual sci-fi in the sense that as cassandra has once so eloquently put it holds a mirror up to a human condition which sci-fi is supposed to do and horror is supposed to do as well in different ways but circling back to the issue of things that work well in certain media and not in other media uh is the whole um what are those aliens called in Doctor Who, where you don't remember them anymore? Uh, oh, I was once, just looking at them the other day. Yeah, the ones with the really awful faces. Ooh, uh it's
1: it's called they're called the Silence. Mm. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. I wish we could do this thing where it's like maybe you'd have to do it like Memento, where it's like you're actually going backwards through all these scenes <laughs> that you don't remember. But yeah, I don't think that you'd be able to have a monster and then forget about it because, because, that's, because the players are the audience and the... Ah. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I wish we could do. Now, since we are just about to enter our first expedition into the Mornland, does anyone have
3: any closing remarks of wisdom?
2: The, the first adventuring rule I ever learned, don't split the party.
3: I learned something similar, but the language it was taught to me was never go cowboy.
2: <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> will, will there be, Josh, an opportunity for one of us to ride a magical nuke down out of the sky? <laughs> uh, I will neither deny nor confirm that.
1: I guess one one rule to keep in mind is treasure chests and stuff. Are typically treasure chests but but not always so you know <laughs> be careful
4: i think the the only bit of sage advice that i think up is uh if you want with advantage and you roll really high the first time roll twice because you might crit so
0: this is a tentative rule if you d- wouldn't trust someone to babysit your dog don't play rpgs with them
2: oh i like that rule
0: audience, thank you so much for joining us on this introduction and we'll see you on our first session. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.
3: Farewell. Good night.
0: listening to this week's episode of mysteries of the Mornland. you can follow us on facebook twitter and youtube if you like what we do and want us to keep up the good work check out our patreon there are a variety of backer levels and rewards and patronage of any size helps us keep the podcast up and running The song you're listening to is Collision by Derringen, which we found on ocremix.org. You can find the information on all our music in the episode description. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you again next time.